Back in uh, 2010, Dr. Brene Brown gave a TED Talk. There were 500 people sitting in the audience that day, but since that time, more than 15 million people have watched the presentation too. Why? Why so many people paying attention? Why, over the years, have there been so many people who keep telling their friends, hey, you got to watch this too? Dr. Brene Brown is a professor at the University of Houston. She spent six years trying to analyze what is it that causes emotional distress. You know, what is it that causes people to break down and lose control of their emotions? What is it that causes people to fall apart and go to pieces? Because she thought, if I could just figure out what's at the bottom of all this, then maybe we'd have a way to measure things and predict when it's about to happen. And maybe we could start to get a handle on this and control it and, you know, fix it so it would never happen again. And yet after six years of analyzing all the data, Dr. Brown had a breakdown herself. She who was trying to heal others couldn't even heal herself. So today, when she talks about emotional distress, she speaks from personal experience. And here's what she's learned. She says one of the major reasons for all this emotional turmoil is shame. Shame. And here's how she defines shame. She says shame is the fear of being disconnected from others. It's the fear that if you knew the truth about me, you'd want to pull away. If, if you saw me as I really am, you'd be so shocked and so disappointed, you'd just want to turn and walk the other direction. I mean, if you knew about all the different ways in which I have failed, if you saw the things that I'm struggling with right now, you'd be so surprised. You struggle with that. You wouldn't want to have anything to do with me. You would want to disconnect. Shame is the feeling that we're not pretty enough, we're not smart enough, we're not slim enough to ever measure up to other people's expectations. So when they see the truth of who we are, they don't want us. They don't want us to be a part of their group. Or shame is the fear that other people are going to find out you couldn't handle the promotion and you got laid off. Here's all your peers, they're rising up the ladder really quick, but you fell off and you're too ashamed to let anybody else know. Or shame is the feeling that all your friends seem to have these great relationships, but you don't. Your marriage is falling apart, your kids have gone astray, and because you feel like you're all alone in this, you're, you're scared to open up and let anybody know. Or sometimes shame is just simply the fear that you know you're in over your head and you really need to ask for help, but you're afraid to do it. You're afraid if I open up and ask for help, it may make me look weak, and then you might begin to laugh at me. You can handle this? <laughs> What's wrong with you? I thought you were better. You can't handle that. And then at that point, you'd want to pull away and disconnect. So to keep that from happening, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to ask for help. Even though I'm dying on the inside, I'm just going to keep it all to myself and try to handle it all myself. And sooner or later, we break down. Well, here's where the relief comes. You know, how do we get to that point where we can just let go of the fear, let go of the shame, so that shame doesn't take over and control and ruin our lives? Here's how it happens when we see other people open up and say, me too. Hey, you're not the only one to wrestle. Well, there's, there's nothing unusual about what you're going through. I've struggled with the same thing for years. I know exactly where you're at because I've been there too. And then they open their arms and they embrace us. That's why more than 15 million people have been listening to that talk that was given by Dr. Brene Brown, because here was the expert. Here was the lady who seemed to have all the answers, and yet she admitted that she, too, had a breakdown. She, too, had felt that sense of shame. Hey, for the longest time, I didn't want you to know the truth about me. For the longest time, I didn't want any, anyone to discover I don't have it all together. And that sense of shame was just killing her. Until 2010, she got up on the stage, and she gave her talk. And in giving that talk, she just exposed her weaknesses, 
her struggles. I mean, here she was telling the world, hey, you're not the only one who's gone through a crisis like this. Me too. And because she opened up like that, instead of disconnecting with her audience, it did the very opposite. It drew people in. That's why over the past seven years, millions of people all over the world keep listening to that talk because they want to know more. So here's what I want you to see this morning. There's a danger that we need to be aware of. And then I want you to watch and see how the Bible addresses that danger. The danger is this, that we think, we develop this mindset that the worst thing that could ever happen to us is for our sins to be found out, for our secrets to be exposed. I mean, we dread that day. We're just sure. We're afraid somewhere along the way, somebody somewhere is going to find out about that horrible thing we did a long time ago. And so we spend all our days doing our best trying to keep that secret a secret, trying to keep that chapter of our life buried in the past. And yet that's not the worst thing that could happen. The worst thing that could happen is not to be found out. The worst thing that could ever happen is to keep the secret a secret because if nobody else ever knows, that means nobody else can ever help out. And then we're condemned to spend the rest of our days carrying that burden all by ourselves, continuing to feel that shame. And here we are carrying a burden we were never intended to carry. And sooner or later, the weight of that shame will crush you. It will lead to some kind of a well, it doesn't have to be that way, and here's why. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 7. We're talking about a very special kind of love here. Here's a love that can bear all things. It can bear things we can't. It can handle things we can't. Here's a love that can bear all things. Understand what we're talking about. This, this expression, to bear with. It's a Greek word stego, and in the ancient world, it's used in some interesting ways. Sometimes that Greek word stego was used to describe a ship taking a journey across the Mediterranean Sea. And as it's taking this long journey, it encounters this horrendous storm. I mean, waves just rising up like mountains. The, shot, the ship just being tossed up and down like a giant yo-yo. I mean, for days, this boat is just pounded by all the elements, and yet it never sinks. In spite of all the bad weather, still maintains its course. In spite of all the bad weather, still reaches its destination. I mean, here's a ship that, that bears the worst that the storm has to throw at it. And yet it still reaches the other side safely. Stego. Or sometimes this Greek word stego was used to talk about a roof that's being pounded with rain. And yet no matter how much of the water falls, it never leaks. Never bends, folds, collapses, gives way. It stands up. It holds together. That's why sometimes this Greek word stego is translated in your Bibles. Here's a love that covers. Here's a love that protects. With all that's coming your way, all that opposition, it holds up and doesn't let a bit of it get through. Here's a love that protects. Or sometimes this Greek word stego was used to talk about soldiers guarding a city. Here's a city under attack. I mean, the enemy's throwing everything it's got, and yet those soldiers will not retreat or back down. I mean, no matter how bad it gets, they stand their ground and they continue to fight until at last the city is safe. And it's the enemy who folds. It's the enemy who loses heart. It's the enemy who withdraws. We're talking about a love here that will not walk away. No matter what you go through, it will not disconnect. No matter what your circumstances, they're going to be there for you. And not just be there. They're going to every day just be constantly pouring themselves out on your behalf. Because notice the rest of the verse. Here's a love that believes that because of God, all things are possible. Better days are lying ahead. And so because it has this hope, it has this confidence, here's a love that will endure. It will persevere. It will continue to fight until it can make things better for you. So here's a, a love that even on your worst day, not going to walk away. Even when you're at your very worst, it will not disconnect. 
Now think about this. Who are we talking about? Well, we're not just talking about some vague, abstract feeling, love. Is, is not this description that we have here of love, is this not a perfect description of the life and ministry of Jesus? Take out the word love and put in the word Jesus and see if it doesn't fit. Jesus bears all things. When you think of it like that, I mean, what we have here is, is a perfect picture of what we've been reading back there in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Let me give you one example. Matthew chapter 14. We have the famous account of Peter walking on the water. And I've got to be honest, for years when I studied and read that passage of Scripture, I always kind of looked at it as Peter being the main focus. I mean, here's Peter, a picture of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, a picture of what it means to put your trust in the Lord. Why? Because he's the only one of the twelve that day who was willing to get out of the boat. He was the only one of the twelve who was willing to take a risk for the Lord. So you want to be a disciple of Jesus? You want to put your faith in God? You've got to be willing to take risks for Jesus too. And for the longest time, that's what I thought and taught. But the more I, the more I look at that scripture, the more I think, no, that's not why Matthew put that story in the Bible. He wasn't trying to highlight Peter. Jesus is the hero of this story, not Peter. I think the reason why Matthew put this story in his book is to let us know that even in the most frightening of situations, even in the darkest moments of your life, know this, you're not alone. The Lord will be there for you too. You remember how it all happened? How did the disciples wind up out there in the middle of the lake? How did they wind up out there in the, in the middle of this horrendous storm? Jesus put them there. They're out there because of Jesus. You remember, Jesus had gone up to the mountain to pray, and he told the 12 disciples, get on the boat, go ahead across the Sea of Galilee, I'll catch up with you later. Well, they've made this journey hundreds of times before. <laughs> no big deal, that's easy, pretty simple. And besides, this is the Lord's idea. He's the one sending us out, so that's got to mean nothing bad's going to happen, right? <laughs> Wrong. Gospel of John tells us it was as the evening began that they get in the boat to go across the Sea of Galilee. So it's about 6 o'clock. Nine hours later, because Matthew tells us it was the fourth watch of the night, about three o'clock in the morning. Nine hours later, Matthew says, they're only four miles out. Man, it should have only taken an hour to get to that point. There's still another good three, three and a half miles yet to go. They should have been on the other side a long time ago. But nine hours later, they're only halfway. Why? Because for the past nine hours, they have been hammered by this ferocious storm. Matthew says that that tiny boat was just buffeted by the, by the wind and the waves. So for nine hours, they've been fighting for their lives. And they're terrified and exhausted and just ready to call it quits. That's when Jesus shows up. And, of course, when the disciples recognize who it is, it's Peter who says, Lord, can I come out? And Jesus says, come. Now, most of the time when we're talking about this, we describe it as Peter walking on the water. But that's really not accurate, is it? You know, if it's a bright, sunny day and, and, and we're out here in the middle of the Sea of Galilee and the water's nice and calm and we watch Peter get out of that boat and walk in the water, very, very impressive. But that's not what we're talking about here. There's a storm going on. Sea of Galilee is all churned up like a giant blender. I mean, the waves whipping back and forth in a dangerous man. It's dangerous just to be in a boat, let alone get out of the boat. He's not asking to walk in the water. He's asking to walk on waves, angry waves. And for a while, he comes out. I mean, like a master surfer, he's out there managing the waves and keeping his feet on top of things. As long as he keeps his eyes fixed, up. it's because of Jesus. That's what drew him out. But then the Bible tells us, Matthew... Matthew's account of this, that he, be, he took his eyes off because he began to notice the wind. Hey, whoa, wait a minute. Whoa, what am I doing out here? This shouldn't be happening. And he begins to sink. And right away, Jesus is there to pull him out of the water to rescue. And as Jesus and Peter begin to walk back to the boat, Jesus asks him, Peter, why'd you doubt? 
<laughs> now, if I'm Peter, I've got to be thinking to myself, are you serious, Jesus? How can you ask me a question like that? Do you not notice the wind and the waves? Do you not notice the storm? I mean, who, who wouldn't be filled with fear and doubt in a situation like this? But I don't think Jesus is being mean. I don't think he's condemning or, or mocking or, or putting Peter down. I think he's just simply making a statement. Peter, I'm here. And if I'm here, if I'm with you, why doubt? I'm your rock. I'm your refuge. I'm your God. I can take care of you. Why doubt? You remember a couple months earlier, Jesus had been out in this boat with his 12 disciples out there in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and they got caught in another one of those bad storms. But on that occasion, Jesus stood up and spoke to the storm. He said, peace, be still. And instantly the storm disappeared. But not this time. This time he doesn't turn off the wind machine. This time the storm is still raging. And why? Because Jesus wants his disciples to know that even in the darkest of moments, if I'm here, if I'm here, you're going to be okay. And then in the Gospel of John, it gives us interesting details. Peter and Jesus get back in the boat. It says, and immediately they were land. Whoa, wait a minute. What, we, we were out there in the middle of the lake just a moment ago. What happened to that last three and a half miles? They get in the boat, and suddenly, all of a sudden, in the blink of an eye, there they are at the beach. <laughs> you talk about an amazing experience. Now, here's what I want you to notice. Two things. Things that normally turn people off and turn people away never has that effect on Jesus. You know, one of our friends or our relatives or a member of family, they've suffered this devastating loss. They're going through this horrible experience, and we're afraid to approach because we think, what do I say? I mean, what they're going through right now is just so overwhelming. I, I, I'm not sure how to help. I, I don't know what to say. I don't want to do so. Rather than step in, we pull back. We just kind of politely keep our distance. I'll pray for you. <laughs> and from a distance, we just kind of hope that everything's going to work out. Not Jesus. He's never intimidated by our troubles. The Bible says while he was up there in the mountain praying, he saw the troubles that his friends were in, and immediately he is drawn to them. He is never, that bad stuff never scares him. He is never afraid to get involved, no matter what you're going through. And then here's the second thing I want you to notice. When Peter asked to come out of the boat, <laughs> you talk about the courage, because he's asking to come out in storm-like conditions. He's asking not to walk on water, but to walk on waves. And so he responds to the invitation of Jesus, and he gets out of the boat, but it isn't long before he loses his confidence, and he sinks. And once again, Peter fails. I mean, it's been typical of his life. Again and again, he dares to do something great for God, and then he fails to follow through. But here's what I want you to notice, though. Peter fails. Jesus doesn't. Though Peter disconnects from the Lord, you know, he took his eyes off Jesus. He got so caught up in the storm. But the Lord doesn't disconnect from him. And the lesson I learned from that is this. It's not the promises I make to God that's going to change me. What's going to change me are the is, is believing, really believing the promises that God has made to me. How many times in the past have you made a promise to God, God, if it'll just help me pass this test, I promise next time I'll, I'll study. I'll really study. Just, just get me through this one experience. Or God, if you make sure I don't get caught, I know I did something wrong here, and oh, I feel really awful about it. If you just bail me out and make sure I don't get caught, I promise I will never, ever do this again. Or God, if you'll just help me finish this project, my job is on the line. The people here at work are counting on me. I got to get it finished. If you'll help me finish, I promise. Next time around I get this kind of a project, I'll start a whole lot sooner. You ever made promises like that to God? I don't know about you, but when I have, my promises don't tend to stick. I'm like Peter. I end up doing the same things again and again. Because you see, it's not the promises I make to God that's going to change me. 
What's really going to change me is when I believe the promises that God's made to me. That's why I find such hope when I hear God saying, Hebrews chapter 13, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. I am greatly encouraged when I read there in Romans chapter 5 that His grace is greater than my sin. Remember how the Bible puts it? Romans chapter 5 verse 20, though sin abounds, yet His grace abounds so much more. And then I love that promise that God makes there in Romans chapter 8 where He says, nothing, nothing will separate Nothing will separate me from his love for me. No matter what happens in this world, no matter what tries to get in between, nothing can hinder his ability to care for me. Other people may walk out and disappear, but God won't. Why? Because he loves me with a love that can bear all things. There's the proof. When you look at the cross, you realize his love never hits a breaking point. Hey, sorry, you hurt me one too many times. This time you cross the line. Enough's enough. That's it. This relationship, it's off. No. Even on the cross, when you and I had the hammer in our hands, I mean, you think about it. What is sin? Sin is not just breaking a rule. It's not just breaking the law. You are sinning against God. We held the hammer. We were the ones pounding the nails into his hands and pounding the nails into his feet. And yet while we were sinning against the Lord, what was Jesus doing there on the cross? He was praying for us. Father, forgive them. Because... On the cross, he not only bore the weight of our sin and all the punishment that went along with it, he was carrying all the shame that goes along with that sin. So we wouldn't have to carry that shame anymore. 1981, up in Minnesota, there was this inter intense search being made for a stolen car. I mean, all day long, announcements being broadcast on TV and the radio, help us track down this stolen car. But the reason why the police were so concerned about apprehending the criminal, the man who'd taken the car, it's not what you would have thought of. See, sitting on the front seat of that car was a box of crackers, crackers that had been laced with poison. The owner of the car was going to use those crackers as rat bait. Well, the thief didn't know that. So all day long, they're making this intense search, not just so they can get the car back. They actually wanted to save that man's life. I mean, here's the thief thinking to himself, hey, I'm, I'm hearing those broadcasts on the radio. I know these guys are after me. I don't know why. You want to catch me so you can put me in jail. You want to catch me so you can punish me. No. The main reason they were so intent about tracking him down so they could save the man's life. Isn't that our story? We're thieves. We're criminals. We're sinners. I mean, every day we're on the run because we know we have done things that we shouldn't have. And every day we do our best to hide and make sure we don't get caught. And yet every day there's this nagging feeling that God's after me. And he is. But understand why he's chasing you. Every day he's knocking on the door of your heart. Not because he wants to shame you or condemn you. He's knocking on the door of your heart because he wants to save. Isn't it time to believe the promise? John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world, he gave. He didn't give in. He didn't give up. He gave his only begotten son so that. Whoever believes in Him, whoever believes in Jesus, and really believes in what He has done for us, that person will not perish. And that word perish literally means fall apart, go to pieces. It's not going to happen when you have that connection with the Lord and you have and enjoy this eternal life with God. Isn't it time to surrender and let go of the shame and to recognize that it's safe to do that? And why? Because we have seen the open arms of God, how God spread out his arms for us on a cross. Isn't it time to let God embrace us, embrace us with a love that will never
faire. 